was a Bitcoin. Yeah. is up bitcoiners and what is up freaks for those of you who are watching this on youtube i'm wearing my honorary tftc t-shirt y'all are gonna really love this podcast i sat down with diego the co-founder of the rsk sidechain and blockchain as well as iov labs which is building on top of rsk and our man bruno who is the cto of the defiant wallet which is an rsk enabled wallet that is a cross-platform wallet so we've had one of these on the show before but really this is a wallet that is bitcoin it's rsk it's ethereum and they're about to bring lightning and the whole point is to make it really easy to interoperate with all of that and they are focused on making it super user-friendly especially especially in Spanish, but as well as English. And I think that this was a great podcast. We focused in on what is happening on the ground with Bitcoin in Latin America and Spanish speaking America and talk about what's happening in El Salvador. Diego dropped a ton of knowledge bombs. And it was really interesting to hear from Bruno talk about being a Ethereum focused project and then pivoting and incorporating a lot of the Bitcoin stack and focusing on interoperability and, and Bitcoin. So so it's very interesting to just see how this ecosystem is all playing together. And I think you all are going to get a lot from this interview. So without further ado, let's just jump into this interview. Peace. Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I am sitting here with two builders once again in the Bitcoin space, two builders who are focused on Latin America and countries where they may not be privileged with you know, some of the US and European financial infrastructure. These are countries where we are seeing Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies really start to take hold and start to serve a lot of real people who just need money that works. I'm sitting across from Diego, of course, of RSK, a repeat guest on the show, and Bruno of the Defiant Wallet, a first-time guest. But we are really excited to uh, just sit down and get a 2021 fall update on what is happening on the ground with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency adoption in Latin America. Without further ado, let's just jump to the panelists. Diego, let's go to you. How are you doing? What is new with RSK? Everyone here is really getting excited about a lot of the different projects being built on RSK. So what is new with RSK and how are things going on your end? I think a lot of things are, are happening in RSK at the moment, like the total value lock in RSK from Bitcoin keeps growing. It's now over 2000, like around almost 2005 and 100 Bitcoins, active users keep growing week by week. And in a big part, I think it's due to what the community, to the RSK ecosystem is doing in, in El Salvador. It's like there are some of the members of the RSK ecosystem, people from crypto market that are on the ground and they are doing a big push in terms of educating people to manage their assets in a non-custodial way as an alternative to the system that the, the government provided. And they are doing a big educational task and, and work. So that's on one side. Then new protocols have been launched, like uh, Babelfish that uh, creates a meta-stable asset. That's very interesting because then the user can use this meta-stable asset and get in and out of that system through the existing stable assets in RSK. So it abstracts from the complexities of understanding where are the different risk models of each stable asset within RSK. And there are some things that are on the way, like new protocols that will emulate or when use emulate the experience of using a fintech or a neobank for payments, but on non-custodial environments. No? And, and Bruno can share about that because we are working together on integrating these new protocols. Uh, Basically, the Rift payment suite, it's comprised of payment channels similar to Lightning in Bitcoin, but on top of RSK. Also, there's some work being done in terms of creating interoperability between Lightning and RSK so people can send Bitcoins on Lightning and get uh, stable assets on RSK. That will be very powerful for El Salvador, where people maybe don't want to stay exposed to the volatility of Bitcoin in the short term, so they can move very fast and very cheap into stable assets and back. Then you have payment aggregation, 
that we have some payment aggregation systems or rollups like they are calling Ethereum running on our scale already. And that's also another breakthrough. And with that, potentially we can have 500 transactions per second, but also lower transactional costs by one order of magnitude or even more in the future. And when you combine that with, for example, a Riff Relaying, where people can pay the fees of the network with the token they are transacting without having to have access to RBTC initially, and somebody will pay the network in RBTC, in Bitcoins on RSK, that also like abstract complexity from the end user. So I think it's very interesting because when you put all this together, you can keep the non-custodial nature that we, I mean, the ethos of Bitcoin, but also provide experience, the user experience of a fintech or a neobank. So I think that will be a breakthrough. It's like the partners in the ecosystems, like Defiant, are putting these pieces together and still we don't have like the full experience. But I think when people can experience all this integrated, I think there will be an aha moment for many people in, in the space. I mean, there's a lot That's to unpack there. A lot to unpack there, Diego. Yeah. And I think, you know, you touched on several things that we're going to talk about. One, you touched on what's happening in El Salvador and alternatives and education alternative to what the government is pushing there. Uh, you also talked about stable assets and how important that is in conjunction with BTC. So I know that Bruno and, and several other folks are trying to help people get access to dollar denominated value you know, in a non-custodial way that doesn't have trust. Bruno, let's move over to you. And, and I'm excited to learn more about what you're building and learn more about Defiant. Okay, yes. You want me to make a brief intro about Defiant? Yeah, why don't you introduce yourself, I guess, very briefly, what you're doing in the Bitcoin space, maybe how you got into it in, in Defiant, yeah. Yeah, cool. So I'm one of the, of the co-founders that started up Defiant. And so we started the project in late 2019. And at that point, we were just a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace focused on our value was joining buyers and sellers, mostly of stable assets. So mostly at that time, it was DAI or maybe USDT, as I can recall. It was even before Dollar and Chain, for instance, one of the biggest stable assets in, in the RSK ecosystem was born. And so by that time, we uh, defined what's needed on the wallet, but luckily we got to know and got to, to work alongside with, with RSK, with the team leaded by Diego. And uh, together with them, we started to, to develop Defined as a, as a wallet, besides having the peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. And we, we started learning about the RSK ecosystem, their projects, their view, their goals they, they have, and their vision. We started to, to really like it. And so from that point on, we started working really near close to them. And then we defined, developed into a, a full-fledged wallet, not only of RSK, but also for Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so, yeah, we try to integrate most of the, the solutions that Diego was, was telling you about. We're really eager to offer the, the end user these solutions because we think that we're a really important part of the chain for that matter because maybe RSK can create beautiful solutions, really sophisticated technical solutions. But if we don't give the user a really clean, comfortable and easy to use product, wallet in this case, those solutions that RSK creates won't really fulfill their, their ends, you know? So, well, with that in mind, we try to create every day a wallet that's really appealing for the user and by which we can offer them these non-custodial, decentralized solutions that are being created in RSK ecosystem and also in other defined, uh, is uh, of course a self-custodial wallet. And we've got quite some interesting uh, milestones ahead. For instance, during next month, we'll be releasing a new version uh, with which you'll be able to use not only RSK and Ethereum, but also any other EVM blockchain 
which is really interesting because we are seeing how the different EVMs and different blockchains are being connected among them. We're seeing how bridges, as Diego was telling you, are being born. And we're also really, really excited about these solutions that Diego was telling you about that connect layer two solutions in RSK, for instance, with Lightning Network, as an example. Okay, so Bruno, a lot to unpack there. Again, I think that there's two main themes. One is the RSK ecosystem is really growing to the point that it attracted you to start working on it from Ethereum and other crypto assets. So I think that is very interesting. And the other, and I think this is pertinent to our audience because our, this is Bitcoin Magazine, our audience for the most part, they could be characterized as Bitcoin maximalists. Maybe they see Bitcoin as the ultimate money and they may or may not acknowledge where stable coins kind of fit into that and why that's something that was a focus of your initial product and probably still a focus here. And then, I mean, I guess lastly, it's just the interoperability and why that's important. But really quickly, in terms of pivoting into RSK, a lot of that had to do with the availability of stable coins there. I'm kind of curious, why are stable coins so important, right? In terms of the market that you're trying to serve, but in general, because I think a lot of Bitcoiners have this fantasy that Bitcoin's the perfect money, but in terms of like today, it may not be the most useful thing for people who are trying to live in, in a dollar denominated world, right? Because the world is still dollar denominated. So I guess curious your thoughts there. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm sure that the also has some strong and interesting opinions on this matter. And I'd say that two different things come to my mind regarding that aspect. So the first one is why stable coins? And here probably people that don't live every day in a country where inflation is a really, really important issue don't get to grasp the, the importance of this matter. Because, you know, here, for instance, in Argentina, it happens that both RSK was originally born in, in Argentina and also ourselves. And we perfectly know what it is to not being really, really uh, sure of the price of things, you know, in our native currency. So for that matter, stable coins are, are perfect because you don't have inflation. Well, then you have to see if the asset to which they're pegged has inflation, as it may be in the case of the dollar, the US dollar. But at least it has, as compared to our local currency, much less inflation. You know, so that's one important matter. And the second one regarding why other types of coins and not only Bitcoin, maybe when talking only about layer one Bitcoin and not Lightning Network, mainly the transaction fees are one important matter because as we like to envision crypto not only being used for large amounts of large payments, but for everyday payments. And we like to imagine our users being able to pay either for their everyday life, for everything in whatever crypto we may discuss then which crypto. But with that in mind, if you have a Bitcoin, there one Bitcoin fees in the order of some dollars, it's not feasible, you know? So those are the two main reasons why other coins and mostly stable coins come into the scene. So Diego, I want to kind of pivot to you, right? So obviously you're building the RSK ecosystem in order to enable a lot of the crypto native functionality that it's been difficult to build onto Bitcoin. What are you seeing from your users, especially users kind of in El Salvador and Latin America that are going headfirst into living on in, in some sort of a crypto enabled way, what are you seeing, you know, their needs and where's the role of stable coins versus Bitcoin versus other things? Well, when we started RSK, we started RSK exactly with the purpose of creating the environment where you could have a P2P monetary system backed by Bitcoin, where stable assets could be issued without counterparty risk, without resorting to central authorities. And if you think about that, the first movers in the stablecoin movement, USDT or then USDC, they were all backed by the actual asset they, they are representing and, and they have custodial intermediaries. No? So basically you are not removing counterparty risk. You are removing volatility, of course, but you still have counterparty risk. And 
when we started creating RSK, the first use case, because I was going to the slums and seeing the realities of people who live day by day, week by week, month by month. And then I realized Bitcoin was not a fit for somebody that lives day by day, because basically you cannot be exposed to the volatility. And that I would say applies to 80% of the population. It's like only 20% of the population can save money for a period of two or three years. So you can wait for Bitcoin to appreciate or take the next cycle, no? to jump into the next cycle. So with exception of places, I don't know, like Venezuela, where volatility is so high in the local economy, where Bitcoin is stable, <laughs> in the rest of Latin America, you needed something to bridge the volatility gap between the local currency and Bitcoin. And and that was the original model. It's like how we can create stable assets, but we don't want to do that in, in a custodial way or with intermediaries, because then we, we go back to the model that we are trying to disrupt. So, you know, the idea was initially to go back to kind of a four knocks where instead of having gold, you know, as collateral, you would have Bitcoin and create a protocol. And the original ideas we were thinking of in RSK were similar to what MakerDAO created. And we acknowledged back then that they had certain problems, like that the collateral was non-fungible. So each collateral contract was independent. So you needed market makers. So that design. And then later on, when the money on chain team came on board and they wanted to implement this idea, we had a lot of discussions where I shared my original models for creating a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system. And thanks to those discussions, they came out with a much better design, in my opinion, because it's a design where all the Bitcoins in collateral back in the stable assets are fungible. So you can actually redeem the stable assets against the protocol without the need of a market maker or, or a secondary market. So, so it's like, really, you're removing, you have a stable assets. When you use money on chain, you have a stable assets that have platform risk or underlying asset risk, but they don't have counterparty risk. So, so that's like the first element is like, as what we want is to have a purely peer-to-peer -peer financial system. We need to have non-custodial wallets like Defiant. We need to have a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system. And then we need to have financial services that also run in a peer-to-peer -peer, where I'm lending to another user. And that's what is going on with the DeFi movement and you know it started in ethereum and, and now it's developing very well in the rsk ecosystem so we are slowly but steady getting to the point of achieving that original vision of creating a truly peer-to-peer -peer financial system secured by bitcoin no because that's the other key element that rsk rootstock mm -hmm. brings to the table it's like yeah we did all this using the bitcoin network as a security network and with Bitcoin as the underlying asset of all this. So that's something very unique of Rootstock that is like every transaction in Rootstock incentivizes the Bitcoin miner. So by Rootstock growing, it's making Bitcoin stronger. And that full alignment of incentives between the two networks create that now we can serve, we have a financial service, a system that can serve any human being, regardless if they can save for two, three years or they live day by day and everything is running secured by the Bitcoin network and incentivizing the Bitcoin miners. And that is something that no other sidechain has created, like that full alignment of incentives. So if you are a Bitcoiner, you want RSK, you want Rootstock to be successful because you know then Bitcoin will be more sustainable, it will be stronger. So there's full alignment. Having said that, what are the other challenges? Because now that's a reality. We have lending, we have a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system, we have non-custodial wallets that are integrating all these and making it easy to use for the end user. And now I would say the biggest challenges that are already technically solved but need to be deployed or offered to the end user are scalability and ease of use. And those are the protocols that are being integrated. No, it's like scalability and, and operational cost. No, it's like how we lower transactional costs yep. in our a transaction cost if you do it on chain 20 cents usd for a token transaction and five cents usd for a bitcoin transaction so how we lower that to a point where it's not relevant for the user is like and basically you need to take that down to under a cent or under two cents and then 
any human being can use the transaction payment system like that. So that's when payment aggregation and all these other services I was mentioning in, in the beginning of our talk come into play and, you know, scale blockchains to have hundreds of transactions per second and eventually thousands of transactions per second and lower the transactional cost to a fraction of a cent. So they make this open financial system available to any human being in the world. And in Latin America, that's essential because 50% of our population is excluded from the traditional financial system because of economical reasons and because they don't have a collateral and they sometimes they don't have a formal identity. And all those things are the missing pieces that we are trying to put together. In El Salvador, that's a very good example now that everybody's talking about that. 70% of the population don't have access to financial services or smartphones. So that's the reality of most of Latin America. No? So those are the real challenges is how we make this economically viable to any human being in the world. No? So, yeah, I mean, I agree that scalability is definitely going to be a challenge. I'm interested in hearing what both of your takes on what's currently happening in El Salvador. I want to go to Bruno because you're new to the show and you haven't talked about El Salvador before, but what's your digestion of what's happening there, especially from the perspective of you're trying to build a usable, easy wallet that will help people onboard? I'm just kind of curious your take. So, yeah, I think that regardless our own position in the, in the ecosystem, what's happening currently in El Salvador, it's a really interesting experiment globally that implies and it will have consequences on a social level and on a political level, on a global economical level. I think it's just the first of many, many cases similar to this one that we'll see. And regarding it in particular, we as a team, me and my team, we're waiting to see what, what happens there. There's a lot of, of fuss around El Salvador. I mean, for sure, we'll be there for the La Conf, which will be held there in a couple of weeks now. But we haven't like really, really gone there to try to sell, let's say, our, our product or anything, because like there's a, we see that there's a lot of noise. Uh, we've been hearing from people that is actually there, uh, physically actually there, and that there's a lot of... It has, of course, its political side, you know, so of course, some people will be against it because of from those, its own the way it was brought to the table. And so some people, on the other hand, will be for it because they have some sympathy for the government. And one side that we don't really enjoy is this, that the Bitcoin is being used for political means, you know? I mean, like, it, it wasn't, like, for sure, it wasn't their intention in its beginning, but now, I mean, it's, like, kind of related to politics, you know? So we'll see what happens there. I think that it's really, really interesting. Of course, we will be there present as a non-custodial wallet, a really easy-to-use non-custodial wallet, which will have, like, a network integrated and... We'll be there. I think that there are many things to be learned from El Salvador, but it's it's good in, in general terms, you know. All right, Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor. This show is brought to you by Ledin.io. I have been super, super impressed with the guys over at Ledin. I've actually known the co-founders, Adam and Mauricio, for a very long time. I've had the pleasure to watch them build Ledin up from a tiny, tiny startup to now a super impressive institutional grade Bitcoin and crypto lender. Y'all. I'm so impressed with these guys. They are offering some of the best rates out there. I don't think anyone even comes close to touching them. You can get 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin that you deposit into Ledin interest accounts, and you can get 8.5% on USDC deposits. I mean, I know all the competitors. They're not even close. If you're going to put your crypto and your Bitcoin into an interest account, Ledin is by far the best. And on top of that, like I said, these guys are hardcore Bitcoiners and they know the products and the services that Bitcoiners want and appreciate. They come up with B2X. It allows you to put your Bitcoin in, they leverage it up, and you can, with one click of the mouse, get twice the exposure to Bitcoin. So if you're super bullish, Ledin has you covered with a super, super easy way to get leverage with B2X. And then on top of that, they know that Bitcoiners care about your reserves. They know that Bitcoiners 
don't like under-reserved and not full-reserved financial institutions. So they are pushing the frontier in transparency in the digital asset lending space. And they are the first digital asset lender to do a full proof of reserves and proof of attestation through a Mariano LLC, a public accounting firm. So the letting guys, they know what Bitcoiners like. They are legit. I encourage you guys to check them out. Do your own research and go to ledin.io. That is L-E-D-N.io and learn more. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you about the deep dive. The deep dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium market intelligence newsletter. This is a no fluff, hard hitting, incredible newsletter going deep into the market, helping you understand what's happening with derivatives, what's happening on chain, what's happening in macro, what's happening with the narrative and what's happening with the tech. My man, Dylan LeClaire is an absolute savant. He is making his name known in the Bitcoin community, getting shout outs left and right, getting on podcasts left and right. And him and his team are bringing you everything that you need to know about Bitcoin. You don't even have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You can ignore every other newsletter. This is the newsletter to rule them all. Go over to members.bitcoinmagazine.com. Sign up today. And if you use promo code MACRO, you get a full month for free. You have nothing to lose. What are you waiting for? Sign up, see the incredible work that Dylan and his team are putting out. And if you don't like it, just unsubscribe. You don't pay a dime. But if you do, you know, it's going to be well worth the sats in investment in understanding Bitcoin and gaining the confidence to continue to invest in Bitcoin and making the right moves around Bitcoin. And it's going to be well worth every single Satoshi. Again, can't recommend it enough. That is members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code MACRO. Do it today. Bruno, what's your take on the educational situation? Obviously, it's become political. We see the know all Bitcoin, and it's all about opposing Bukele for the most part. The majority of people are like, oh, you know, maybe we don't like the technology. I don't really know. This is about the totalitarian nature of Bukele. What do you think of like the state of education? Because it seems as though the government has announced this thing. They released the ATMs in the app, and they really haven't done much communication outside of that. Well, of course, for sure, the educational side, it has to be there together with the technical solutions and the social lattice, you know, that's needed for everyone to be able to use it. I don't know. That's why I said in the beginning that it was an experiment. I don't think we've had such experiences like this where there's like kind of an imposition to use such a technology. It has never been the other way around. It has been brought from the roots up. And so for, I think that, yeah, education doesn't happen from one day to the next one. And that will be one of the, the weak points of this whole uh, experiment. And education mostly, as I think that the, the three of us here could agree that people has always started using Bitcoin or whatever crypto because they have been moved to it. I mean, because they have wanted to do it, not the other way around. And that helps education. I mean, if you want to do something, you feel like it, you will educate yourself as much as you need in order to feel sure to use that, that solution, the technology or whatever. So I think, yeah, it will be a weak point. Uh, let's hope it helps because it's something, it's a technology that it's, there are plenty of projects trying to wrap it and put it more comfortable and more easy to use for the end user. So I think that it's not as hard as it may have been five, six years ago. So I want to go back to Diego. I mean, Diego, you're obviously on the grounds with a strong effort in El Salvador. What's your assessment of what has happened since the Bitcoin law got passed officially, lack of education from the government, etc.? I think because of the time frame that was set, it was impossible to educate anybody because everything was pushed and, and decided like at a f very fast pace. And when you understand how politics work, I think that was on purpose because the more time you let the process develop, the more you will have operations against you, political operations. And, and you have all these like parades and news, like, you know, pay news against the process. So, so it's like you can see that any controversial thing or drastic thing like the ones 
like pushing Bitcoin as uh, you know legal tender in a country will be used against the opposition to try to gain power. So, so it's like, in that sense, I think from a political perspective, it was a good move to do everything in such a fast pace. Also, that had many implications, not enough time to educate people and the deployment of a custodial solution, because what the government is providing is a custodial solution for everybody. And it's a closed system because mostly it's like, uh, transactions are free as long as you're operating within the government's application. So that would be from a pure Bitcoin ethos. That's like a contra or something we don't like because we, we believe in the sovereignty of individuals we want. But if you think, you know, in a longer term, this is enabling the Bitcoin movement to be validated and to operate on the grassroots and working towards doing I mean, filling those gaps. And that's exactly what the Rootstock ecosystem is doing in El Salvador. They are doing meetups where they educate people, where they help them install the wallets, the non-custodial wallets. So I think as long as the government enables this to happen and, and you can have the non-custodials, like more true to the spirit solutions uh, of Bitcoin, no? be deployed and distributed among the population and and that can live side by side with the government system then it's a total win for our ecosystem and for the decentralization movement because you have the the government validation that bitcoin is a valid option and they are not telling you not to use non-custodial systems or sovereign systems they are just saying telling okay Everybody's forced to accept Bitcoin. So we need to provide the means for everybody to accept Bitcoin. The means we are providing is custodial. We don't have the time to teach you, but you can go anywhere else and get a non-custodial wallet and learn from the community. So we can see this as a problem or as an opportunity. You know? and, that, and I think what I like of the rootstock, because it's the rootstock ecosystem, it's not us, it's not IOE Labs, it's like, you know, Defiant, uh, Crypto Market, Bigso, Money on Chain, like all the ecosystem is working. And I love to see that. For me, I'm very proud of what is happening. It's like all the Rootstock ecosystem is going to the ground. Some of them are physically there. The other ones are supporting, sponsoring the endeavors, sponsoring the meetups, the training. And when you combine that with La Bitconf that is coming on November 15th to 20th to El Salvador, and we will do like massive educational programs there and bring the best, the top speakers of the Bitcoin and decentralization world there. I think we have something that can be very, very meaningful. Like it can be like a pivotal moment for Bitcoin and crypto. So we, instead of like looking at the things that are not ideal or not working, we should see at the huge opportunity we have ahead of us. And I think the Rootstock ecosystem really understood that. And it's, I mean, the, these Bitcoin mutants are, <laughs> are seizing the opportunity. So that's my take on that. And, and you see that this is also like El Salvador's move is also creating a domino effect in the region because right after El Salvador mentioned about making Bitcoin legal tender, politicians started like pushing laws in Paraguay. And now we have another law being proposed in Panama uh, where they will accept Bitcoin as a legal payment system, even though not in, to the extreme of El Salvador. So I think all these things that are happening, they don't happen in an ideal model, like we would expect as Bitcoiners, where it's in self-custodial models, are creating a very positive environment for Bitcoin. And, and then it's up to us, the, the people who has been building the Bitcoin ecosystem and, and the different decentralization solutions, to take it in the right direction. But now we have the proper environment to make that happen. It's like, you know, we are not on the edge of the law or in a gray area where we don't know which liabilities we are taking by doing what we are doing. So I think it's, it's huge because I was mentioning this in the context that many times people is like focusing on the things that are not quite right. You no, know? like saying, okay, El Salvador is doing Bitcoin in a custodial way. It's doing Bitcoin like, in a, you know, it's not taking yeah. time to, to educate. And that's like putting the focus on, on the problems and not on the opportunities. And I think it's like, okay, the government took it to a certain point that it's like providing legal tender to Bitcoin, which is huge. Or in the case of Panama, 
accepting it as a legal payment means or trying to do that same with Paraguay, like then it's up to us to take that opportunity and educate people on, on the value of non-custodial solutions, on the value of being your own bank and providing non-custodial solutions to the, yep. to the people in our region. So, yeah, I think this is a huge opportunity for the ecosystem and a pivotal moment in the crypto industry. So I love your perspective and you, I think you brought up a lot of fantastic points. One, from a political perspective, this was the way to make the law happen most effectively, right? So if you're purely on the Bitcoin train, this got it done. And then two, they aren't promoting their wallet. They aren't educating people, which is a good and a bad thing, right? It's creating a lot of confusion, but the good thing is it gives an opportunity for non-government entities to take that up. And I think that's a fantastic point that a lot of people have not considered. Just to kind of bring it back to Bruno, like you mentioned interoperability. I know a lot of people have said that El Salvador would not even remotely work if Lightning Network wasn't a part of that. And you mentioned Lightning is coming to the Defiant Wallet as well as Lightning is enabling a lot of interoperability directly with RSK and Bitcoin. Can we talk a little bit about Lightning in general, what's happening with Lightning in El Salvador and what that means for integrating into the crypto stacks that you two are working on. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I think that, yeah, for El Salvador, solutions, well, Lightning Network as a technology and wallets that have it integrated are crucial. Or it's otherwise going and using custodial solutions, as Diego was saying, which I don't think that goes with our views of how Bitcoin was meant to be used and of how it's the, the most convenient and the most anonymous and intelligent and economical way to use it. And so, yeah, I think this year, well, actually I'd say that last year it was uh, the first great year for Lightning and this year will be even more important and next year also because as we see more countries also declaring Bitcoin as legal tender, and as we see more and more users coming on the, on the scene, solutions that allow you to transact with Bitcoin really fast and for really low fees are really, really crucial. In terms of our own adoption of Lightning Network, we don't have it yet deployed. Actually, we're, I'd say, a couple of months away from it but we'll be integrating it along with other layer two solutions. We'll be working side by side with, with RSK for that matter. And so, well, it'll be really, really interesting and we'll do it always having in mind the best we can offer for the user, the everyday user that wanna, wanna use Bitcoin ideally for their everyday life. I mean, again, from a UX perspective, right? I feel like making it very easy for users to like, like, here's my wallet, here's how much value I have, and being able to spend and send that value without having to do a lot of switching and exchanging and all that stuff and have slippage. That's just so important, especially when we start bringing in the dollar, bringing in stable coins, bringing in other assets, right? So I'm very interested to see like how Defiant in the UX is tackling this problem. And I'm kind of curious, I'll go with that question first, like how are you kind of tackling managing balances, keeping it simple and easy for people to use. People may never have even used electric value or a brokerage account or investments or anything like that. Like how is Defiant kind of treating that situation and making it accessible? Yeah, our view is, is quite, quite similar to yours as you described it. We'd like to, let's say, hide as much as we can from having different balances of different coins and having to do swaps and managing slippages and always having to be really, really, really aware of if you, whether you're getting a correct amount of for what you're sending, if you want to swap coins, for instance. So with that in mind, one of the things we, we moved on with is we're creating a, in the same app, a different version of the app. You'll be able to use both of them and, uh, and switch uh, between them. So it will be called the defined symbol and you'll be able to choose only one coin, one stable coin, probably, and that'll be your, your main coin. And you'll only see that the balance of that coin, how much you, you get, and you'll have, let's say, less options, but you'll be able to 
send and receive and also buy for fiat and sell for fiat that very coin. That product we developed it with the newcomer, the newbie in mind, and we think that with a really, really simplified and revamped interface, uh, the experience will be really easy for the, the user. And they will have it denominated in, in US dollars because it will be a, um, a stable coin. So that's one of our strategies to solve what you were saying. In El Salvador, we're seeing McDonald's displaying prices and sats and things like that. And people like actually transacting in BTC. On the flip side, we're also seeing these massive lines of people who are just trying to take their BTC airdrop and withdraw into the USD cash. We're seeing people buying the airdrop for $25. And so the $30 airdrop for $25 on the street things like that. So we're kind of seeing both what people want dollars and exposure dollars, but on the flip side, we're also seeing BTC native adoption. Diego, what's your assessment of, and I know that you believe that stable coins are important, but this dynamic, and do you think that like BTC denominated pricing is something that is viable or do you think that USD is going to continue to dominate even in El Salvador where Bitcoin is legal tender? Yeah, I think I always tell uh, there's like two types of money, if you want, if you want to. I mean, of course, it's a oversimplification, no? but conceptually, you have short term money. And what you want with short term money is low volatility. And you can cope with some loss of purchasing power. And then you have medium to long term money where you don't care about volatility, but what you want is to preserve purchasing power over long periods of time. So Bitcoin by design as not having any monetary policy that can be manipulated, it's like the monetary policy is already fixed. So you exactly know how many Bitcoins there will be at any time, point in time in the future. Necessarily is, is completely, I mean, the price of Bitcoin is completely defined by offer and demand. So the offer is fixed then the demand will fluctuate. Therefore, it will be volatile. It will be less volatile. The more it's used, the more omnipresent it, it becomes. But it will always be volatile because it has nobody like manipulating the supply, the money supply to make it stable on the short term. No? So it's like that's the nature of how Bitcoin is designed or how money is designed. No? If you are scarce, the supply is fixed and demand is what determines the price, then you will be volatile. So I think Bitcoin will become less volatile, but until it becomes to a level of volatility that can be short-term money, it will take maybe decades. It's not something that is going to happen next year or the following year. And the best short-term money you have is the dollar, other stable assets. You might think of better options. Like in the future, I mentioned many times, like. One thing like Hayek and, and Keynes had in common is that both of them were proposing to create baskets of commodities as a way of money. The difference is like Keynes, of course, was like <laughs> proposing to do that in, with a centralized entity like the IMF and control the, that controls the index and everything. And Hayek was proposing to do that in a free market where everybody was creating the round basket of commodities and then the baskets of, of commodities were going to compete among them until you find the best basket of commodity. You know? So the implementation was different, but the concept behind it was the same. It's like how we create money that is connected to the real economy and then we have like good money that is connected to the short term, to the real economy development. So I think we will see, thanks to crypto, we'll see the emergence of these new patterns for stable assets. But for now, the only thing that you have is the dollar, the renminbi, the pound, the, the things that are manipulated by or controlled by governments that, as we all know, have a political element to them, but also like try to keep that short-term stability, although they lose a lot of purchasing power over time. But has lost 95, 98% of the purchasing power in the last century. So that's the level of purchasing power loss that you get on a stable assets. But it fulfills the role of pretty much, with exception of the big crisis, maintains some productivity in the, in the short term. And that's why I think people will keep like using these kinds of money to price things in the short term. So I, I, mm -hmm. that's what I think it's like. So that, quick, what, 
In terms of time, I mean, there's a couple of things that you said that I found really interesting. Like for me, I totally get why dollar denominated stable coins are popular and why people want that. That makes complete sense to me, whether it's like a fiat backed one or whether it's something like money on chain and it's Bitcoin or Ether backed. But I've always been very skeptical of this idea that there's going to be a stable coin outside of something that's pegged to the dollar. Because I don't know. I just don't see how like that standard gets bootstrapped. I just feel like sats are going to be more competitive. So, I mean, I know that that's not necessarily about Bitcoin adoption in South America, but it is definitely something that maybe you two have an opinion on. It sounds like Diego, you think that there is such thing as like a, a stable value token that's not going to be the dollar that potentially could have a future. And, you know, that's a pretty big statement to say that it won't happen, but I don't know. I just don't, I just don't see it. I think money is about trust. I mean, I know we talk about fiat money because the backing of the dollar against the gold was removed in, in 1971 by Nixon. But, but the truth is like, there's always trust. It's like certain level of trust. And why some monies are like better than others is because of the trust that people as a collective put in that money. It's like uh, you're trusting either the, the issuer of the currencies, like nobody understands how the Fed works or very little people understand that. But you have that level of trust that, you know, more or less they will behave with certain level of coherence, which actually they are not at the moment, no, because they are printing what 30% of the monetary mass, you know, in addition. So, but conceptually is a, a matter of trust. It's like why people keep using certain monies or others, it's about trust. So for sure, and, and how trust was created with the dollar by force. It's like after winning the, the Second World War, then everybody got together in, in Bretton Woods and the winner defined what was the reserve currency for the world. No, it's like, indeed, Keynes was proposing a different thing. He was proposing to use the bunker that was, again, what I was mentioning, a commodity basket, you know, based on indexes managed by the IMF. He was against the dollar as the, because he knew the moment the, the dollar became the reserve currency of the world, then the U.S. would not have a monetary policies in place. I mean, would not have the freedom to manage their monetary policies at, at will, no? So, which ended up being what happens. Like, they had to break the gold backing because of that reason. So, he was right conceptually, no? But why and then how the dollar kept being enforced? Through force. You know, petrodollars, like the general contracts around the oil contracts were forced to be in US dollars. So, and that's the beauty of Bitcoin. It's like, a, it's a reserve currency that is not imposed by force. It's like, if Bitcoin becomes the reserve currency of the world, it's because the humankind choose to do so. And because they trust the system, they trust that that system will remain reliable and will keep the rules in place. So that's why I also think Bitcoin is a non-violent revolution because it's like basically moving from force-based <laughs> money into, you know, mathematics and game theory-based money. So it's a reserve money. So conceptually it's like, of course, it's like bootstrapping that is, is like a long process because you have to build trust and trust is built over time. But uh, yeah, I think that's like one thing is like, what will be the reserve currency of the world? And I think as Bitcoin demonstrates it's reliable and people can trust in it, it will become more and more the reserve world. And then regarding stable assets, as I said, it's like, we need to build those alternative stable assets that are not based on monetary policies and a central bank or, or the Fed, maybe based on the commodities produced in a region. Maybe what we will have is a stable assets for each region instead of like one world stable assets. So we, we can say, okay, let's create a stable assets based on the exports of Latin America. Let's create stable assets based on the exports of Europe. No, so we can create stable assets that are related to the local economy. I don't know. It's like, uh, of course, this is like far-fetched, but I definitely think that these patterns will emerge. How successful they are, I don't know. But currently we are in a crisis with the money because the China already broke the dollar as the reserve currency for the world because China created an economic circuit around the renminbi, around the, the yuan that is no longer using the dollar. 
So they are creating trust, that level of trust that the Lord created thanks to the petrodollar contracts. They are creating that trust around the economic circuits in Asia that are ruled by the Yuan. So I don't know. I think currency wars are already happening and that gives room to other stabilizers to emerge. But we don't know what will happen. It's very uncertain. Sorry, I don't think I gave you an answer. I just put more I, questions. I, I, well, <laughs> I think you, you definitely hit on it at the end there. So you definitely think that there's going to be more currency competition from countries as well, and that's going to open up the door. Bitcoiners, I am so excited to tell you about the Bitcoin 2022 conference. You guys, Bitcoin 2021 was absolutely a smash hit success. It was over 13,000 Bitcoiners coming together, breaking the barriers on who can come together and celebrate freedom, celebrate Bitcoin, and the energy was absolutely electric. Unfortunately, it was just oversubscribed. There's just people flowing out everywhere. And this year we are learning, we are making the conference bigger and better. We are moving over to the Miami Beach Convention Center, and we are going to be throwing a massive four-day festival for Bitcoin, celebrating Bitcoin, bringing together the greatest minds in Bitcoin and the greatest businesses in Bitcoin. And lastly, the culture of Bitcoin all together. We have a four-day extravaganza planned for you guys for Bitcoin 2022. Day one is going to be industry day. It is a day where you can buy a special ticket in order to just mingle and make business deals happen. Day two and three is going to be a full-blown Bitcoin conference. This is our main conference. This is going to be on April 7th and 8th. And then lastly, we have the Sound Music Festival day four. Imagine going to Coachella, but for Bitcoin. There's going to be very few talks. It's going to be all about the culture of Bitcoin. It's going to be all about hanging with your fellow plebs. And it's going to be an absolutely amazing time. There's going to be Bitcoin musicians, Bitcoin artists, and all your favorite Bitcoiners and just an amazing environment to party and just see it all, soak it all in, and to get people to realize that a Bitcoin world, a world filled with Bitcoin people doing Bitcoin things is the world that they want to live in. That's what Bitcoin 2022 is all about. That is what the Bitcoin conference is all about. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is all about. So it is going to be a celebration of Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, and this amazing movement that is going to make the world a better place. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Learn more about the Bitcoin conference. Learn more about all the amazing things that are happening in Miami around the Bitcoin conference and buy your tickets. And guess what? If you buy your bit tickets with Bitcoin, you save $100 on all the tickets and $1,000 on the whale pass. So if you want the VIP pass, the, the big kahuna, if you buy with Bitcoin, you save $1,000. That's a lot of sats. So Go and do it right now, today. Don't wait. Prices are only going up. This is going to be a can't-miss event. Bitcoiners, let's take a break from the content, and I want to tell you about Coolbix. Coolbix is an awesome Bitcoin hardware wallet that has been around for a really long time. They are building an amazing Bitcoin wallet called the Cool Wallet Pro. The Cool Wallet Pro is state-of-the-art Bitcoin hardware wallet technology. Its form factor is like a credit card. You can put it into your wallet and it is designed to go with you on the go. So that way, even when you're on the go, you can have the benefit of a two-factor hardware wallet design when you're trying to spend your Bitcoin. So you can have your Bitcoin wallet UX on your phone and make it really easy to scan, decide what you want to do. But then you sign with a cool bit X, which is in your back pocket. It is tamper proof. It is waterproof. It is flexible. It has an awesome secure element in it. And it is a really awesome way in order to have some more flexibility, yet security when you're taking your Bitcoin on the go. I personally am a fan of this idea of making Bitcoin into a medium of exchange and making it into something that people use. I know it's going to take time, but they are working on the UX for making that possible in as secure a way possible. So have some peace of mind. Check out the Cool Wallet Pro from Coolbix and... Thank you to them for sponsoring this podcast. Gentlemen, we're kind of hitting up on time and I'm kind of curious, like a more zoomed out view. Bruno, in terms of what you're seeing, how far along is Bitcoin slash crypto slash RSK adoption in the Spanish speaking world that you're operating in? And do you see this accelerating in the coming years? I'm kind of curious what the current status is in your opinion. Yeah, completely. 
Do we see that in particular, now that you bring it up, I think that some part, at least of the Spanish-speaking world, has proved to have some particular features that make it more uh, prone to the adoption of crypto, like, for instance, Argentina, Venezuela, and some countries in the Caribbean, San Salvador, for instance, and some others. I think that they will be the forefront of the countries in terms of adoption, and I only see it accelerating for sure. It will come and go for sure, as you know, uh, the price of the, of the Bitcoin and other uh, cryptocurrencies bring along some new waves of adoption because of the, how the media respond to those rises in price. But nevertheless, regardless of the, of the variations in the price and the media, I think that we're seeing a lot of people and really intelligent, talented people and teams coming to the space and bringing up their new ideas and their new products closer to the technical part or closer to the usability part or to um, the educational part. So I think that it's just a matter of time. I think that what Diego was talking about uh, just now about the currency wars is something that is really, really related to it because it's both a cause and also a consequence of this, of the change in the paradigm as, as to what a, a currency is. Really, it's just a matter of, of trust, as Diego was saying, you know? So, yeah, I, I think that we're not too, too far away. I couldn't, of course, give you uh, numbers, but uh, this, this revolution came to, to stay and to change the way in which most of the people do most of their lives in terms of communication, work, every, every kind of economical activity or, and also leisure activities. And, and so, yeah, I, think I really see that accelerating, you know. I agree, and I see the ecosystem growing like more mature and integrating, and that's key because I think it's about creating network effects. It's like Ethereum managed to create a lot of network effects for speculative purposes. No, it's like if you look at the Ethereum ecosystem, it's mostly speculative and it's self-serve. No, it's an endogenous system because productive use cases cannot live in an environment where transaction costs are twenty dollars or thirty dollars. No. And I think that's the big opportunity of the RSK Bitcoin ecosystem to serve like the real use cases, the real. And also it's important that, uh, and I think Bruno mentioned that is like with Defiant, I think they are going in the right direction of being a multiple network system, because as this ecosystem, I always talk about the internet of value. No, Bitcoin is at the foundations, in my opinion, of the internet of value, but then you will have multiple networks with different security models that can serve for different purposes and networks that you know are decentralized like tron for example today are being used to move usdt because the operational cost is low and i i know this is not long term because you know those blockchains are like giving like very cheap transactional cost on chain at the expense of the future of the network so these networks won't be here two, three, five years from now. So they are like, you know, transitional networks, but enable the networks that are building like RSK and Bitcoin itself that is very like slow to grow in terms of scalability, slow to make changes, but it allows the networks that are being prepared for the decades to come to incorporate the technologies that will enable the scalability to be sustainable. And, and I think that's what we have today. We have like blockchains that are saying, okay, we don't care. Let's do 3000 transactions per second or 10,000 transactions per second, even if we will blow a year from now or two years from now, because the important thing is just to gather as much activity as possible. And those are being used and they provide like, a, as I said, like a, a bridge to the future. And you have cases like Solana's that, you know, they had to reset the blockchain. Like they had to sit down and say, okay, guys, <laughs> this didn't work, so let's rewind and reboot. And that's the level of centralization of those networks. But in the short term, nobody cares. But in the long term, we will care. Because once you have $2 trillion, $10 trillion in the network, you don't want somebody to be able to rewind and reboot. So we have that thing that is a mixed reality where you have networks that are like compromising their future, but gathering all the attention and the economic activity today, and networks that are growing and evolving 
into something that will last and will be here for the decades to come. And, you know, woes are part of this, is that woes are necessary. So the same thing as like productive use cases are necessary as much as speculative use cases, because speculative use cases, like the speculation in Ethereum creates a lot of liquidity. So it's useful as well. It's not a matter of either or. And that's why, well, Rootstock comes from a philosophical perspective from Deleuze and Guattari. And basically what they say is like this multiplicity of things is what creates society. And I think the same applies to crypto economies. It's like you have some foundational elements that are growing slow, but they are setting foundations that will be sustainable and choosing scalability path that will be sustainable. And then you have others that are more on the short term focus, like trying to gather as much attention and economic activity they can, even if they don't care about the future. And both are contributing to the decentralization movement. And that's important thing. It's like everything we are doing is taking us closer to a sovereign world where people will be in control of their data and their and their value. And that's the only thing that matters, no? It's like and we are all doing different contributions for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think you just very well articulated an opinion that I've been kind of like stirring in my head around where all this fits. So I think I tend to agree with you for the most part, especially around how all this fits with Bitcoin and the short-term utility of some of these networks and how that long-term is good for Bitcoin and helps people kind of onboard into crypto UX, onboard into all this other stuff. So I'm definitely going to steal several of those ideas and, and re-listen to that portion <laughs> of the podcast but gentlemen, this they are is a open, great, open yeah. you know, they are open source ideas, so you can yes. take them. You don't need to steal them. <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'm going to be taking them. But it was great chatting with both of you all. I want to give you each a last uh, moment to just, you know, give a last word. Let's go to, uh, to Bruno. Why don't you start? And then we can close it out with Diego. But just a final word to the Bitcoin Magazine audience. Well, just uh, it's a pleasure to have been here. Hope it's not the last because we're one of the, the projects that, as Diego distinguished, there's two kind of, of projects. The ones that one uh, some that are in the in the scene for the short term, and uh, others that are for the long term and uh, looking into building products and really understanding the scene and being here because we know that we are building the, the foundations of new new societies to come so pleasure to to be here and hoping for the, the next one bruno where can people uh, find you on the internet especially twitter if you're on there twitter yeah you can find well uh, defiant is defiant app and from there, we've got two accounts, one in Spanish, one in English. Uh, right now, from one, you can go to the other one. Me, myself, I'm, well, from there, you, you, can, you can see uh, tweets by me and you can go there. We also have, also our website is defiantapp.tech, T-C-H. And from there, you can go to, you have the, 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 the download links and links to our social networks. Awesome. Awesome. And defiant app dot tech. Go to that. I'll put all yeah. the handles inside the show notes. Diego, what's your last word? Well, I think it's like, uh, you know, I haven't had this feeling since I started with Bitcoin in 2012, 2013, where we had that feeling that we were like really making an end and, and making something meaningful for society. And, and now I said many times that 2021 is the year where mainstream adoptions kickstarts in the crypto and the Bitcoin world. That feeling is only getting stronger. I think it's like, uh, I'm very happy because after so many years of trying to put together many things and to create an ecosystem around Bitcoin, to scale it, to extend it, to, to turn it in, into the financial system of the future, I think we are getting there. Like, and it's not only RSK, it's also Lightning, liquid from blockstream all the models that are working around that are creating this plus all the partners like the wallets like defy and the defy protocols so finally i think we are getting back to the original spirit we had in the first meetups where people was like downloading a you know bitcoin wallet back then we were sending like a few dollars the transaction cost were was very low back then so we are going back 
to a circle. But now with so many tools in our toolkit that were not available back then, back then it was only Bitcoin. And now we have all these amazing tools at our disposal and we are getting like big exposure in the media I mean, the Bitcoin ecosystem as a whole is getting big exposure. So I think this will be a second cycle of adoption for Bitcoin and uh, but it, it will be a new Bitcoin, a Bitcoin that is extended, reloaded, and, <laughs> and I think it's, I'm very excited. I think next year's will be amazing years for the Bitcoin ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you're, you're totally right there. If Bitcoin happened in El Salvador 10 years ago, it would have been fallen flat on its face and been a terrible experience. But now, you know, I think despite the El Salvadorian government, Bitcoin is ready for that, right? You know, people were, who Absolutely. used Bitcoin wallets were able to actually use them, whereas the government wallet, which was the one that was failing. So I totally agree. Diego, where can people find out more about you, uh, V-Labs, RSK, all the stuff that you're doing? I mean, my nickname on Twitter is Dieguito, like little Diego in Spanish is D-I-E-G-U-I-E-I-T-O. And then the RSK handle is RSK Smart. So both of them are good. If you want to listen to my ramblings, <laughs> you go to at Dieguito in Twitter. Otherwise, you can go to RSK and Smart and, and see more technical stuff and, and the developments of the ecosystem as a whole. Awesome. Well, RSK and IOV Labs and your team, they're hustling all the time for Bitcoin, even deep in the bear market. And that's when I got the pleasure of meeting <laughs> meeting your team. So it's been awesome to uh, to get to know you as well. I encourage all the listeners to follow both of these gentlemen, continue following what is happening across the entire Bitcoin ecosystem. And the best place for that is Bitcoin Magazine, bitcoinmagazine.com. So check that out. Follow me at CK underscore Snarks on Twitter too. Give us those five-star reviews. Go check out all the things we're doing, including the Bitcoin conference. So until then, peace.